I have a cousin who lives in Columbus, Ohio, and one of the things you notice as you drive through that city is this stadium, this huge stadium. It's called the Horseshoe. has a seating capacity of 102,000 people. And every Saturday afternoon from the month of September to the month of November in a non-pandemic year, that place will be packed. Every seat will be filled as people come together for a giant worship service. Now, I'm not talking about a religious ceremony. No, on Saturday afternoon, when people come to the Horseshoe, they come to this place on this day so they can cheer for and celebrate a football team, the Ohio State Buckeyes. See, in the state of Ohio, people love this team with an enthusiasm like you wouldn't believe. They will scream and dance and paint their faces and sit through the most extreme weather conditions just so they can be there and be there to support all those young men who wear those gray, those red and gray uniforms. I mean, on Saturday afternoon, in the state of Ohio, Saturday afternoon is a sacred moment. On that day, all of the things are set aside so that everybody can either watch or attend the game. They are just crazy about the Ohio State Buckeyes. They're more than just fans. They are disciples. They do more than just cheer for this team. They follow them. Whether they win or lose, they follow them with a loyalty and a devotion that is beyond astonishing. Well, so it is with the man who wrote this book that we're going to take a look at today. In fact, we're going to study this book throughout the the month of December. It's called the Book of John because it's written by the Apostle John. And John is, is a disciple of Jesus. And this book is his story, his testimony. Here's why he follows him. Here's why he loves him and serves him with such a fierce and passionate sense of allegiance. So if we're going to appreciate what we're reading here, we need to better understand what the Bible means when it uses this word disciple. Part of in, in Bible times, part of what it meant to be a disciple, it meant that you had chosen to align yourself or identify yourself with a particular person, meaning that you would follow everything they said and did. And the reason you followed them was because you recognized this person has something I don't. They have a knowledge, a skill, an expertise, a, a way of living that is so superior to anything that you've ever experienced before that you knew that by attaching yourself to this person, you were going to make things better for yourself because of what you could learn from them, because of what you could receive from them. We see the same thing in our world. How many times every week do you hear this appeal being made, follow me, follow me on Instagram, follow me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and so we follow, especially if it's some famous athlete or celebrity or politician who's making that appeal. Here's somebody that we look up to and admire. Here's somebody who raises the bar. Here's somebody who challenges us to want to do better for ourselves. Here's somebody we can learn from. Here's somebody who gives us an insider's look at a world that we wouldn't know anything about unless we had this connection to that person. And so we follow them, meaning we listen to everything they say, we watch everything they do, we pay attention to what they like and what they don't like because we are convinced that somehow, someway, we're going to be smarter, we're going to be better, we're going to be more in the know because we have this connection to that particular person. And everybody here does that. Everybody's a disciple of somebody. Everybody's following somebody. Everybody's watching, listening, learning from somebody else. And so the question you've got to ask yourself is who? Who are you following? Are you paying attention to the right kind of people? Are you following somebody who's really worth following? And then the other thing we've got to understand about what the Bible means when it uses this word disciples, it means more than just follow. It also has this idea of devotion. In other words, you don't just follow, but you follow with passion and excitement. You are so dedicated to this rabbi or this teacher. You are so dedicated to this person and what they stand for that you would make any sacrifice necessary in order to remain attached and remain identified with them. 
It's exactly what we see in the life of John, the, the man who wrote this book. I mean, you think about this. Long before John ever met Jesus, he was doing pretty good for himself. He had a very comfortable life. He was a part of a business operation known as Zebedee and Sons Incorporated. It's a pretty good-sized fishing company where John and his brother James and his father Zebedee, they owned a number of boats, and they'd already hired a number of employees to help them run these boats. So John is not some poor guy who stands on the dock all by himself each day, casting out a line, just hoping to catch a fish or two. <laughs> not at all. He's a part of a very substantial operation. And even though he's a young man, he's already in management. He's used to running the show, calling the shots, being in charge. And he and his brother and his father, they've done pretty good for themselves. They're overseeing this large, growing company. So John is an upper-middle-class Jewish businessman who's got this bright future in front of him. I mean, life right now is really good. He's got everything going his way. What more could he possibly want? And then one day, Jesus comes along. And Jesus looks right at John and his brother James, and he says, follow me. And the Bible says that when these young men, when John and James heard those words, they made a response, an immediate response, a dramatic response. The Bible says they dropped their nets and they followed him. Now that is radical. I mean, you, you stop to think about those nets, those fishing nets that they're holding onto and what they represent. They represent the life they have chosen for themselves. Those fishing nets are a symbol of all that they have accomplished and achieved to that point in their lives, and they have achieved a lot. Those fishing nets are the tools that they've used through the years to establish their careers and build up their bank accounts and make a name for themselves. And this family has really made a name for themselves. And all of a sudden, they drop all of this just so they can follow them. When they drop those nets, they're making a, a definitive statement. They're saying, no more of this. We're making a break with our past. It's not about us anymore and about our way of doing things. No. From this moment on, it's all about Jesus and his way of doing things. From this moment on, we're stepping into a new future with him. So when you step back and you think about this, you look at John and what he's doing. You think about all that he had going for him and all that he was willing to let go of just so he could follow Jesus. Isn't it obvious that he must have seen something really special in him? That he saw something there that was better than anything that he had ever seen before? Yes, yes, yes. And that's what this book is all about. Here's his story. Here's his testimony. Here's what I saw when I met Jesus. And here's why I followed him. And here's John telling us, here's why I think you should follow him too. So let's take a look. Let's listen to a part of his testimony this morning. We're just going to look at two verses. Verse 1 and verse 18. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning... Right off the bat, if you, if you spent any time at all reading the Bible, you think, boy, I've, I've heard those words before. That's kind of a familiar phrase, and it is. In fact, it's how the, the Bible itself starts. The very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So you want to understand this world and how this world's supposed to function and what it's designed to do? You've got to go back to the one who made it all. And why did he make it? And what's the, what's the purpose behind this? You're not going to understand yourself and your life and how your life is supposed to function in this world until you begin with God. So here is John taking that very basic, that very fundamental truth, and now he's going to build upon it. He's going to add something important to it. Rather than saying, in the beginning, God, no, he says, in the beginning was the Word. He's talking about Jesus. We know that because when we get down to verse 14, he's going to make that clear. John, it's John's way of saying, hey, anytime I'm using this expression, the word, I'm talking about Jesus. Well, what is he telling us about him? 
Well, notice all the things that we learn about Jesus just here in verse 1. In the beginning was. Meaning before anything was ever made, before any part of the universe was ever created, Jesus was already there. He's eternal. Number two, it says, in the beginning was the word. Why would he refer to Jesus in this way? He's telling us something about his personality. Jesus loves to talk. He wants to communicate. It is his nature to express himself. He doesn't want other people to be in the dark. He doesn't want other people going around guessing, I wonder what he's really like. No, he wants you to know what he's really like. You see, it's true of any human being. You can't know me. You can't know who I really am. You can't read my mind. You can't understand what I'm feeling in my heart unless I begin to speak and I begin to open up and I reveal myself to you. John says it is the nature of Jesus to want to reveal himself. He doesn't want to hide. He doesn't want to remain distant. He wants to be known. And here's why. Notice the next phrase. It says, and the word Jesus was with God, God the Father. God the Son is with God the Father. And the key word in this particular phrase is that word with. And when John was writing this, he's writing the Greek language, and there's all kinds of words he could have used to talk about this idea of shoulder to shoulder. You know, somebody happens to accompany, they're around, they happen to be walking alongside, but he doesn't use any of those words. Instead, he uses a word that literally means to or towards. It's talking about face to face. And what he's trying to emphasize is, in the very beginning, before anything was ever made, Jesus wasn't just kind of there in a casual way, just kind of hanging out with God the Father. No, it was so much more than that. In the very beginning, before anything was made, there was this community, there was this family, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And throughout all eternity, they were intimately connected in the most engaging kind of relationship, constantly talking and, and communicating and relating and doing so in a very close and personal way. In other words, what's being emphasized is God is all about relationships. This is why he speaks. This is why he wants to make himself known. He communicates because he wants to connect. And then the last thing we learn about Jesus in this verse says, and the word Jesus was God. He's fully divine. Which means, as you're reading through the Gospel of John, as you watch Jesus, as you listen to him, you need to understand the words and deeds of Jesus are the very words and deeds of God himself. Remember how the Bible explains this in Colossians chapter 1? It says Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Now, why is that important? Well, come down to verse 18. He's going to kind of give us a commentary on verse 1 and verse 18. He says, no one has ever seen God, meaning back during the days of the Old Testament, God would speak, and he would make himself known to people in a variety of different ways, but no one was ever able to actually see him in the fullness of his glory. And so in the back of our minds, we're always wondering, do we actually know what he's like? Well, we can know what he's like, and here's why. But it says, and the one and only son, the one and only. It's Greek word monogenes. It's one of John's favorite ways of talking about Jesus. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. Who? His one and only son. Monogenes, it means one of a kind, unique. There's nobody else like him. He's in a class all by himself. And what John is trying to emphasize here is that nobody else can do this but Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can show us what God is like. And why? Because it says Jesus himself is God. And for all eternity, he has lived in the closest possible relationship with the Father. Now, you remember that phrase from verse 1? It said, and the word, Jesus, was with God the Father. God the Son is with God the Father. And they were with one another in a really special kind of way. Well, now here is John in verse 18 taking that same truth and repeating it, only now he's going to take it a little bit deeper. 
Because this expression in closest relationship is the picture of somebody leaning back and laying their head on the chest of somebody else. And you can't just do that with anybody. No, you've got to have a very special kind of relationship to, in order to be able to enjoy that kind of closeness. I mean, only a son or a daughter can do this with their father. Here's the father in a very affectionate way, reaching out with his arm because he wants that child to be near him. So here's the father reaching out and drawing the child close. And so now the child lays their head on his chest. They're so close to their dad, they can actually hear his heart beating. It is a picture of warmth, a picture of security, a picture of comfort and intimacy. And again, you can only enjoy that kind of relationship, or that kind of closeness when you actually have a special relationship with that other person. Well, that's the kind of relationship that John had with Jesus. You get over to John chapter 13, and it's the night before the cross. And here are Jesus and the disciples gathered together in the upper room celebrating the Passover. And the Bible tells us that John is right there. John, the one whom Jesus loved. That's how he describes himself. John is right there at the side of Jesus, but he's not just sitting there. No, the Bible says he's laying back, leaning his head against his chest. He's enjoying the closest possible relationship with Jesus himself. And John's point here is that's the kind of relationship that Jesus has had with God the Father throughout all eternity. So he's the one, as it says here in the last phrase, who can make God known to us. But the reason why he wants to make God known is so that we too can have that kind of closeness with God. You've heard me share this before. I remember one day I was seven years old. I was standing in the grocery store with my mother, and I turned around and I bumped into my second grade teacher, Miss Ellis, one of my all-time favorite teachers. But when I turned around and bumped into her, I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, what are you doing here? What are you doing in a grocery store? You see, up to that point, I never thought of school teachers as real human beings. You know, normal people have to do normal things like shop and eat. No, they're school teachers. 24-7, they live in the school building. When I meet my school teacher, I meet her there in that place and no other place. For a teacher to be in my world and the places where I hang out, I didn't think things like that could happen. So that day when I turned around and I bumped into Miss Ellis, Miss Ellis, you exist in my world too. You need to do things like shop and eat too. Wow. I mean, because of that surprising encounter, I got a whole new view of reality. I began to realize that Miss Ellis is more than just a school teacher. She's not limited to that one role in that one place. No, Miss Ellis is a real person who has a real life outside of school, too. She has family and friends. She has hobbies she enjoys, dreams that she wants to pursue. There's so much more to Miss Ellis than just being a school teacher. So it is with John when he met Jesus, and he begins to follow him, and he begins to see the truth about him, and he begins to realize there's more to him than just some interesting human being. No, this is God in the flesh. This is God coming to my world. This is God sitting in my house. This is God fishing in my boat. This is God coming to do life with me. Wow! I didn't know that kind of closeness of God was even possible. And as he begins to experience that truth, it changes everything about his life. Judy Rogers tells about a Christmas she will never forget. This is way back in the 1960s when she was a little girl. She said her father had just lost his job. So things got really tough for the family. But she said before my dad had lost his job, uh, for months he'd been making this promise to Judy's mom that come Christmas, I'm going to get you a dishwasher, a new dishwasher. Now this is back in the 1960s when most people didn't have that luxury because they couldn't afford it. But Judy's mother was recovering from breast cancer, and she was still feeling the painful effects of that surgery. So even the simplest of household chores was such a struggle for her. And Judy's dad noticed that. So more than anything else, 
He wanted to do something extra special for her. Hey, come Christmas, I'm getting you a new dishwasher. Well, now that he's unemployed, how's he going to pull this off? Where's the money going to come from? Judy said the family was struggling just to make the payments on the medical bills, not let alone the mortgage on the house that was due each month. And not only that, she said we lived in this old house where the wiring, the plumbing needed to be replaced. So even if somehow, some way, we scraped together the money to get the dishwasher, there were going to have to be some major repairs done before that dishwasher could even be installed. But Judy said my dad was a man of his word. If he made a promise, he intended to keep it. And Judy says, I will always remember this one day, this one scene. I was watching from the back of the house. Here was my dad standing in front of a large picture window, just staring out at the gray winter sky. And as he's standing there, you could just tell, you could feel it. He's thinking and thinking really hard. He's mentally just brooding. I mean, here's a man who's always been resourceful. Here's a man who's always been able to find a way to figure things out. And yet here he was facing a mountain too high for him to climb. How am I going to get that dishwasher. So Christmas Day arrives, and there's no surprises, no special deliveries, no large box sitting next to the tree. No, there's just a few carefully wrapped gifts and a small envelope. And inside the envelope is a note, a handwritten note, handwritten from Judy's dad to Judy's mom. And the note read, for the next year, I will wash all the dirty dishes in this household, every single one of them. And Judy said he did. All year long, he kept his promise. Judy says, you've got to appreciate this about my dad. He's old school, old fashioned. The kitchen is the woman's place, not the man's place. Real men don't wash dirty dishes. But Judy says, all year long, every day, there was my dad willingly standing at the kitchen sink, cleaning every glass, washing every plate, because Judy's dad really loved Judy's mom. John chapter 1, here is God making a promise to us, a promise to help. And God knew that he could not delegate this responsibility to anybody else because he's the only one qualified to help. So rather than waiting for us to come to him, he came to us. He came right down into our world and stood right in the midst of our mess, our dirty, sinful mess. And he did that because he knew he's the only one who can clean this up. He's the only one who can make things right for us. So John chapter 1, when it refers to Jesus as the word, Understand, this is not just any kind of message that's being communicated to us. No, what you hear and see in the life of Jesus is a special word, a word of joy, a word of hope, a word of promise that he can and he will save us from all of our sin. And the reason why he wants to save us is because more than anything else, he wants us to live in the closest possible relationship. God, we recognize today that you not only made us, but you made us for a life with you, a relationship with you. So, God, my prayer today is if anything stands in the way, if there's anything that keeps that from happening and making that possible, if there's anything that hinders our ability to, to get close to you, God, today, would you remove those obstacles? God, draw us near to you. God, let today be a fresh start in our life in our relationship with you. And we pray for this in Jesus' name.